Hey, folks. Dave here. Mike here. Oh, hi. How's it going? Uh, good. Thankfully, we're like sitting co-located, but uh, if if we weren't, <laughs> yeah, if there's, we weren't, there's a great tool that we could use to do it. And you know, we talk about some really great practices last year mm-hmm. on the show in episode number one twenty-seven, remote pair programming with Ben Orenson. Yeah, it was a a great episode to talk about pair programming remotely, which is, I think, an entirely different environment to do pair programming. If you haven't had the chance, go check it out at tuple.app. I think that it's the greatest tool for pair programming remotely. Like, I don't think there's... The VS Code comes close. Uh, I really like that one, but tuple is where it's at. Like, yeah. it's pretty dope. It's a, it's a tool for deserving developers, as they say. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it was a great episode. And although most of the time we were co-located, a colleague of ours uh, recently went back to his home mm-hmm. halfway across the world, literally yeah. halfway across the world. There's yeah. an 11 hour time difference. So Oof. we're going to be doing some remote pair programming. So awesome. Is, I'm going to refresh on this one too. Oh yeah. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ben. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. My co-host, who's in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. Dave Anderson. And our producer. William Jeffries. And we have a special guest, Ben Orenstein. Hello there. How's it going? Good, man. Doing great. Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a developer, like you gentlemen, but I have kind of taken on an entrepreneurial bent over the last handful of years. So... About a year and a half ago, I quit my cushy development job and struck out and started a company with uh, two developer friends of mine called Tuple. And Tuple is an app for uh, remote pair programming. So we uh, hacked on that for a while. We launched to our first customers, our sort of alpha, back in January of this year. And we are now generally available and we've been working on it ever since. Awesome. Pair programming is usually done with two people in the same room, but this remote thing is a little different. I imagine. And there were some applications that we used to use before. Rest in peace to Screen Hero. That was mm-hmm. like the, the thing to use. But that's not uh, available anymore. Rest in peace. So why was the pair programming the application that you wanted to build? Well, you, you actually hit on it, which is I was a huge fan of Screen Hero back in the day. And so when Slack moved to shut them down, I started asking around to my other developer friends uh, what they were using now. And weirdly, the most common answer was like, I've sort of just stopped pairing or I've just stopped doing like remote collaboration because nothing I've used has been very good. And I just kept hearing that. And I just kept thinking like, you know, this really feels like an opportunity. Like there was a there was a product that was good and people loved it and it solved this need. But then the product got taken away and I just didn't see anyone else step into that gap. And so I kind of felt like if, if I didn't take a shot at this, I would be kicking myself for a long time. Yeah. And thank you for taking that shot at it. It definitely is a gap that, that we all have felt. Like we've talked about this in different episodes, like working as a remote developer and, you know, pair programming episode. You know, when, when you're working remotely, like it, you really rely on having a good set of tools that minimizes the friction that you have collaborate with other people. Right. And, and there's there's another part of this. So the the screen hero missing was 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 one reason, but also the thing that really got my career and my skill level going was I took my first real development job at a place doing some Ruby, and for maybe the first six to nine months, I sat 
right next to my boss, who was a very experienced developer. And we paired for most of the day every day. And that period of time, I grew as a programmer more than any other in my life, basically. And so I had this this love really in my heart for pairing. And I, I just knew that I don't think there's a higher bandwidth, more effective way of skilling up as a developer. I just think pairing is, is the best thing. And it, it makes sense kind of like the, this apprentice model of like working next to someone that has more experience than you is super, super old. Like we're, we're very wired as humans to learn from each other by watching someone do it next to us. And so it's, I, I was super excited to, to support that kind of thing. Like I, I, I asked myself, like, if this company is very successful, what will it happen? Well, we'll have a lot more pairing in the world. And that was, that seemed great to me. Yeah. And I think even as a more experienced developer, there are things that you do that you don't realize that you do. There are things that you do that you don't realize that, do, that you do that are very effective and other people don't know about or don't think about. And there are things, also things that you do that you just like by habit, just keep doing them and don't think about doing them in a different way because they work. And yes. like by having that close collaboration with someone else, it kind of like is a jigger that shakes you out of your your habits and like makes you reevaluate it. Yeah, I remember I had autocomplete, like tab autocomplete broken in my Vim for like a while. <laughs> you're just and fine with it. I you just, know? Yeah, I mean, I it's just, just got, my Vim kit. Yeah, I just like, got whatever. used to not being able to tab autocomplete. And then I paired with somebody and he was like, dude, like, you know how much this sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's, is it? Wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> Let me fix this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get these little blind spots that develop over time. And having somebody watching you, I think, can can help shake you out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I, I said earlier that the, the big thing for me was pairing with someone more experienced. But even now, as I'm often the one who has more experience, I think I learn something every time I pair with someone. Like you don't just learn because the person you're pairing with has a huge wealth of knowledge. I sometimes learn because someone will, will ask me like, hey, how, would you, how did you do that? Or, or why are you doing it this way? And sometimes I look into it and it's like, actually, you know, I don't really know why I'm doing it this way. I just always have. And so we go read the docs or we try a different approach. And it's it's crazy how much you can learn by pairing with people of very different skill levels. It almost doesn't matter who you're pairing with. I, f- I feel like you're going to learn something. I mean, there's just like such a various reasons for pairing with people, and like uh, another one besides like you know skilling up or like teaching someone or re- reframing things in your mind. Like I find that sometimes I get like a bit like analysis paralysis when i'm looking at a big task like i'll just like keep digging in the code and keep digging and like planning and thinking and making an idea of what the best possible way to make this change is and Mm -hmm. like having someone there with you just puts the social pressure on you to be like hey why don't we just do it why don't we do a thing like anything yeah as if it weren't enough that each person in the pair is probably getting better you're probably also producing much higher quality code as a result yeah i do find that like regardless of the level whether i'm learning from someone who's more senior than me and i get to ask questions or someone who's more junior who's asking me why we do certain things and then i have to give an explanation there's always an opportunity to learn from that a lot of people sometimes overlook pairing even in person and i think people will will choose not to pair at all if it's remote, but like applications such like Screen Hero and now Tuple gives the ability for people to have the opportunity to pair, which is pretty dope. So so what do you think is missing 
from the pairing experience when you do it remotely? That's a great question. So I'll actually be the first to admit that if I can pair in person with someone, that's going to be my preference. Like ideally, I can see the person and read their body language and see when they're reaching their hands toward the keyboard versus not. That's awesome. If, if you have that, that option, I would take that one. But the reality is there are lots of people that you might want to pair with that might not be within 10 feet of you. The biggest thing you lose is sort of that out of the corner of your eye, read on their body language and how they're feeling. So you have to, I think, pay a little bit more attention when you're doing remote pairing and probably be more cognizant of, hey, is it time for a break? Is the person I'm pairing with still into this? Am I still into this? Like I'm not, I'm not, you can't read the room as well anymore, I think, is the, it's probably the biggest change. So it kind of leads to more of a need for like vocalization. Like, Yeah, I like, think so. We, we recently added webcam support to Tuple so you could actually see people and, I, and people were very excited about that. And, and there was like this, this steady drumbeat of people asking for it before we had it. And it makes perfect sense because it's hard just based on someone's voice to read how they're feeling. So the, the webcam helps with that. But still, I think, I, I think the communication burden is probably higher with remote pairing, even with a webcam. I was going to say the same thing about the body language. That makes perfect sense that uh, the camera would be a commonly requested feature. I wonder if there's something around switching drivers like that is easier when you're when you're in person. I mean, it's probably because of the body language. But, you know, one thing that I remember doing in times when my pair and I had a hard time switching was getting a chest, a chest timer, you know, those chest clocks mm-hmm. and they have a button on either end and you can slap your, your end and it, you, now your time is over and it's the other person's turn. So, you know, we use that to try and measure how much each of us was spending driving, which was uh, pretty helpful because it revealed a trend that, you know, previously we had no real data for and it gave us immediate feedback so that we could, we could start to course correct. Like, oh, I'm running out of time. I should probably start, you know, tagging out. Did you notice um, a qualitative difference in those pairing sessions? Like, did they feel better when your split was very close to even? I think that there were lots of pairing sessions where it wasn't even and felt fine. But whenever it was really one-sided, it always felt bad. So like, you know, 75, 25, that's fine. When you get down to like 90, 10, there's something wrong. Right. Then it's like kind of like you may as well just be streaming on Twitch or something. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I've noticed is that like driving versus navigating kind of fatigue different parts of your brain. And so I think that's like the best argument for switching is that paying attention to someone else driving for a long time is fatiguing, but it's fatiguing in a different way than driving is. And so like swapping lets you rest the tired parts, each of you. And that's why I think it's like a best practice. And it doesn't have to be 50-50. I'm not sure that that's the ideal number. It kind of depends on who's involved, I would say. And like your level of familiarity with the code and whatnot. But I think some mix up, mixing of that is is probably really important. Are there any like rules or etiquette that you like to follow while pairing, either remote or in person? Yes. So I would say the, the highest level one and probably the most important one is just like being nice. Like some people are kind <laughs> of, some people can get a little prickly. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. And, and pairing is a collaborative act. And it's like kind of intimate in a way. Like in, in person, you're sharing a physical space. And it's if you want to have a good session, you kind of have to be a nice person. And don't don't be a prickly pair. <laughs> <laughs> Rule number one. Well done. Well done. 
I'm actually right now having a shirt designed that plays in the pair programmer pun. Uh, so we'll, we'll see when that comes out. So just like being a good, collaborative, helpful person goes a long way. And one thing that I tell people when they're new to pairing is like, be aware that pairing is a skill and you might be pairing with someone that's not very good at it. So some people have had like a really scarring, traumatic or negative uh, like first pairing experience and they write it off, which I think is super unfortunate. But it, it turns out that some people are just not that good at it. And so you should not write off the whole practice just because you had a bad session. Right. And that kind of ties back into like the mentorship or apprenticeship kind of aspect of it. Like the only way to learn it is by doing it. But if no one at your office really knows how to do it, then who's going to teach people how to what good looks like and and sure. i th- also think people should power through that because you know it, it gets better like people get better even if your pair is not very skilled over time they will get better even if you don't have any formal training yep. most people learn from social situations like that yep i agree and, and i think it's so one good thing that can help with that is to sort of include a debrief at the end of the pairing session and just like do like a mini retro basically and just ask mm. like how was that how was that for you what could we have done to make that better or more pleasant or more effective yeah I, I like that there's there's some teams at stride that like were very all in on pairing like 100% of the time uh but as a result of that they had to be very aware of all the nuances of it and and mm-hmm. make sure they're getting those feedback loops and like being very open for for that kind of uh like asking those kind of questions Mm-hmm. Yep. Another you asked about rules, and another thing I would say is this is this is a classic mistake. So it's not super important, but it's just very commonly screwed up. And so I'll mention it, which is uh, pointing out typos as soon as you see them. As an oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, helping. Yeah. So so pe- I think people think that's pairing. They think it's helpful, and like it it's sort of is. But pointing mm-hmm. out typos breaks your flow as the navigator, and it also breaks the driver's flow. And so I think that the first rule of good navigating is like, take a minute, give your driver a chance to spot the typos themselves and fix them. Even if they like, they start running the test or something like, like, wait a second, give them a moment to do it. Uh, and it will feel better for both of you. Also trying to convert your pair to your preferred hotkey, like pattern, mm. like there are, you know, a, an infinite number of ways that you could edit a line of code and get the same result and being like do the you know this specific hotkey you know particularly for i think this is more for vim users using surround so yeah I, I try to when i'm navigating and someone who's a vim user like i try to resist offering those tips until i, I see them do it like 20 times and then i'll right. just uh, yeah. say like by the way are you, are you interested in a, a shortcut for this and, and just kind of try to phrase it in a friendly way that's a great approach. Right. Yeah. Like make sure that they're feeling the pain of not yes. using that shortcut. Exactly. And that's a classic like teaching technique, which is like don't teach a thing that where that doesn't solve a pain the student has had already. Yeah. I, I tend <laughs> for like for both the typos and like the hotkey situation, I like to use index cards to write notes for myself, like to let the driver know, but like not to immediately interrupt them. I try to write it down like, oh, I love that. like, like typo on line mm-hmm. 125 and then face down and then let's finish. Like I want the driver to finish their thoughts on to the application or to the program. And then from there, I'm like, oh, okay, I, these index cards came up for the navigation. So there's typo, but you probably, we probably already caught that. Mm-hmm. And then I like, 
at the end of the Pomodoro or whatever break system we decide to use at that time, I try to bring up like the, hey, are you interested in learning a different way of doing the thing you did earlier kind of thing. But like rather than mm. telling them right then and there is not my cup of tea and I suggest people to get uh, index cards to write their thoughts down so that I really like that because then you can also like kind of let go of it because like I'm thinking yes. about like the discipline that Ben's talking about where it's like oh just don't talk about any typos and it's like oh but it's like mm-hmm. you know being a designer and seeing pixels being off or like a vertical alignments being off between elements like you, you want to like shine a light on it so it gets resolved yeah. but I guess like if you put it on the card then it's out of your system right. and you can I mean like, I do think the typo be. one like the minute I write the typo like index card like the person probably already knows that it exists so there's no point in like bringing up the typo although I do feel like I get that reaction like immediately I see a typo oh I'm being helpful let me tell them to change it but index cards definitely helps me out in that regard do you Ben do you use any other tools like I mentioned index cards and sharpie do you find yourself as a driver or a navigator use different tools when you are pair programming yeah I, I love having a notebook handy also so actually a couple things so so first of all uh, I, I almost always bring a keyboard with me to a pairing session if I'm in person uh, it's nice to really quickly be able to just type something. Yes. And so, like to me, a pairing session should start with the navigator plugging in their keyboard to the driver's computer, so that if at any point you want to, you can write some code quickly. Beyond that, I, I really like to have a notebook handy. So I had an interesting, interesting experience uh, a couple of months ago, where so so Tuple is written in C plus plus, which is a language I don't know, uh, and we had a bug in it that was really causing a lot of annoyance for our users. And so I sat down with one of my co-founders and I was like, let's try to fix this bug even though I don't know C++. I took it on myself as a navigator to kind of just ask questions to kind of narrow down the search space. So I just kind of kept saying things like, okay, what are the symptoms of the bug? And what could possibly explain these symptoms? And I would just like take notes and write them down. I started building this document basically, which is like, here's everything we know about the bug. And then like we would open up a file and I'd be like, what do these first 10 lines do roughly? And just like sort of force my pair to explain it to me. And I just kind of started building this description of the bug and the world around it and what we knew uh, and what our suspicions were and our hypotheses and started checking them off. And eventually, I was the one who was like, I think we should check this line and for this thing, because based on what you're saying, it could the bug could be this. And eventually, uh, it turned out that that was correct. It was really striking to me that I could I could successfully and like helpfully pair with someone despite not even knowing the language. And I think that's a good way to think about the navigator role is like you should be able you're, you're kind of like the external brain of the driver. And so your job is right. to level them up and make them smarter. And if you're doing it well enough, you shouldn't even need to know the language they're working in. Right. Or have the full context. It's like just being their conscience, like their their Jiminy Cricket or sidekick mm-hmm. or what have yeah. you. And Mike, what you're saying about the index card, I think that I think that's a great system. Like you're you're like you're their their stack for them. And then like you don't even have to think of it either because you've written it down. I think that's that's great. Yeah. Notebooks are very important, as you mentioned. I do like the idea of you like even before because us like as developers, you just kind of want to go in and fix the bug. Find the find where the bug is and crush it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. But in your example, you had a more reserved approach of saying, hey, like, let's talk about this. Where where are the pain points happening? Where would this possibly exist in the code base? And then figuring out exactly what line was causing the errors as a navigator is exactly stopping the driver from wanting to go in and crush all the things. That is a pretty, pretty dope tip. 
Yeah, thanks. And one thing that, that happened during the session was kind of what you just said, which is like, there were times where I was stopping the driver from doing something. Like he would start kind of pulling a thread on a particular line. Like he's like, what? And how does this line work? I'm not sure how this works. And I would just kind of notice like, okay, we've, we're like three files deep now. And like, it doesn't really seem like this is where the bug is likely to lie based on what we know about it. And so I just kind of be like, do you think we should keep moving on? Like maybe maybe just write this off and come back to it? And he'd go, okay, sure. And then we kind of keep making progress. And so sometimes good navigating, I think, is keeping your driver from uh, diving too deep into uh, rabbit holes, so to speak. Right. <laughs> As I say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people are too focused on driving because what it, it's what resembles what they do solo. And so navigating becomes a lot of waiting for your turn to drive. And when you when you think about... <laughs> navigating as a separate skill with a separate set of tools like index cards and notepads and you and know good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it puts people in a better mindset for pairing. When should you do remote pair programming? Like when when should you use tuple if in person pair programming is better? Well like I said, like I'd 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 prefer in person if I can do it, but the universe of people you can pair with in person is just so much smaller than the people you can pair with remotely. So some folks are some folks are remote full time, and so remote pairing is their only option. But I would say even people that work in person these days, there's almost no one is always in person, right? Like probably just about all of us do some some working on the road or some working from home, um, or maybe you want to just collaborate with someone that's you know up, up a couple stories in the building and you don't feel like walking up there. Well, so we ac- we actually use Tuple for in person pairing. Like if you if you're if you have two people and they're both on MacBooks and nobody has an external keyboard. You know, your only option for, you know, that more comfortable pairing setup where both people have access to a keyboard and mouse is remote screen sharing. I don't think I've ever actually, I still have not used Tuple yet to pair with someone who is more than two feet away. (laughs) Oh, interesting. (laughs) Mainly because of peer pressure. I just apply more peer pressure to try it out. (laughs) Damn it, William. The wrong people are using our product. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the the equipment Hmm. and like logistics aspect of like the in-person setup can, can often be daunting, especially like if you're in a more inflexible workspace where it's... You know, there's a lot of people in there. Like you, you may not have a lot of uh, like a big desk or a large monitor. Right. It's like a huge piece of inertia that your equipment is already set up a certain way. And so, you know, my external mm-hmm. keyboard's already plugged into my laptop, and you know, my monitor's already plugged into my laptop. And you know, if you eliminate all of that, and it's like, look, I'm just going to go to my uh, toolbar and, and click this button. I don't know. I think that it makes it easier to grab a person and get them to start pairing with you. My frustration is when the person is legitimately remote, like in another office, maybe in another country, and then I don't really have any tools to help me, aside from Slack, to help me get them engaged in pairing. It's like when you're in person, you can tell. Does this person look like he is free for, or she is free for for pairing right now? Would she be responsive Mm -hmm. if I proposed this? Whereas... You know, when I'm in Spain and you're in New York, it's just a much more difficult judgment call. Yep. Yeah, totally. I, I was working on a team where they started like expanding and it was very challenging to hire in New York. Hard, hard to get the kind of people they wanted. So they started hiring in Philadelphia and they hired a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden, half my team was in Philadelphia and we had to figure out this whole new means of collaboration, go through all these hoops to figure out what kind of tools were available to like help us collaborate a little bit more efficiently. I think William brought up a good point with the idea 
that it's easy to know when a person is available for pairing or whether they're like like in it to pair. And Ben mentioned earlier that uh, Tuple recently released a feature for the webcam, like to being able to see the person's face and whether they're engaged in the pair programming. Uh, ben, is there any other features right now you think you would add to your remote pair programming application? And if so, what it is? There are a couple things. Yeah, they're on the smaller side, but they're sort of on my mind. One is just sort of like a status. So right now there's a list of people and it's like, are these people busy or are they, you know, do they want to pair right now? And so we don't have a way of kind of putting your hand up and saying, hey, I'm available, FYI, if you want to call me. I see. And so like I'm other... looking for group, looking for pair, <laughs> kind exactly. of like looking for group, World of like Warcraft that. kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so that, anything else? That'd be one. Uh, and the other is just kind of a, there's an interesting social pressure or something that happens like when you call someone using an app like ours where it's like, you probably don't want to call someone until they know you're going to call them. And so just having some sort of feature where it's like, just like a button, which is like, hey, are you ready? And then mm. someone can quickly do a yes, no. Like, I don't think we would add full chat. That seems kind of annoying. But like, if there was just like a, rather than like, hey, there's an incoming call. Do you want to accept or decline? There's like a message which is like, can you start now? I uh, see like a ready check. Exactly. Like, like a ready seeing check. if the, the party is both available to talk or that's ready a, to pair rather. That's it's exactly kind of funny what I've been how... calling it internally. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny how like kind of ubiquitous that that notion is, at least it among is. like our our generation. Like I feel yes. so bad giving someone a phone call. I have oh, yeah. to send a text yeah. first. And it's like, <laughs> is this okay? I'm about right. to invade your life right now. Totally. It's a hundred percent like a millennial thing. <laughs> generation X people just won't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I had um a call scheduled with uh or I got introduced to someone. A gentleman who's a, a bit on the older side and i was like hey do you want to do a call on friday at three o'clock and he was like yeah and i was like great here's the link and he was like here's my phone number and like to me <laughs> you know, it's like a, a call equals we're gonna do a video chat and to right. him a call is like call me on the telephone and i was like oh yeah i guess that makes sense <laughs> like you have a zoom like oh, wait what yeah. i don't know here's my wait. phone number exactly yeah and then you have to take the phone out of your pocket and then you have to dial it. it That's so like weird. weird and archaic. What is this? I couldn't see right. it at all. Basic, basically a rotary phone, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I called the operator, asked her to connect us. <laughs> the good old days. The good mm-hmm. old days. So, Ben, how can people contact you? Hilariously, or maybe uh, unfortunately, I'm probably most responsive on Twitter, which is embarrassing. <laughs> um, I think my Twitter response times are faster than email. Uh, so, I'm R00K on Twitter because I used to love chess when I was a kid. Oh, and awesome. If you want to email me, it's just ben at tuple.app, T-U-P-L-E. Oh, uh, any announcements uh, in terms of tuple? Sure, yeah. At some point soon, uh, we're going to go to full 1.0. So we're currently on version 0.44.1, uh, which is very exciting. We're in a good place now. So our call quality ratings are high. We're, we've crossed hundreds of customers now. Uh, and People like the app. And so we're feeling really good about where it is. Uh, we don't feel like we're missing any major features anymore. So we're going to go and stamp a, a 1.0 pretty soon. And if you're interested in trying it, you can just go to tuple.app and uh, drop your email and we'll shoot you an invite uh, very quickly. Awesome. 1.0 coming soon. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, was- ladies and gentlemen. We got the scoop. <laughs> Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> ben, thanks so much for coming on down. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. 
On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. Thank you.